Welcome to Call Jeshurun, a podcast from Congregation B'nai Jeshurun, a vibrant and flourishing Reformed Jewish community in Short Hills, New Jersey. Welcome. I am Rabbi Matthew Gewertz. Call Jeshurun is where you can come to engage with teachings of relevant wisdom and music. You will hear from our clergy, staff, and guest speakers who will help bring meaning into a world that so badly needs it. If you would like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at tbj.org. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I am really pleased to be able to introduce tonight's guest speaker. So I will begin uh, by introducing Mark Gerson. Mark is the co-founder of the Gerson Lerman Group. He is the chairman of African Mission Healthcare, and he is the co-founder and chairman to United Tatsala of Israel the pioneering volunteer system of emergency first response that enables victims of pre-hospital trauma to be treated in the moments that separate life from death. Mark is the host of the popular podcast, The Rabbi's Husband, a show that explores the greatest hits of Jewish thought in conversation with the most interesting thinkers and leaders from varying religions. And he is the author of The Telling, how Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life, which was recently published by St. Martin's Essentials and is available at bookstores everywhere. That's the official bio. Mark, of course, is um, this is his, his home turf, B'nai Jeshurun here in Short Hills. He became bar mitzvah here. He is married to our colleague, Rabbi Erica Gerson. They are the parents of four wonderful children, and Mark and Erica are really part of the TVJ family. We're so lucky to have them, and we are really excited to welcome Mark. His book just came out, and so he's going to speak for a few minutes about the book. Uh, Thank you, Karen. It is such a pleasure and an honor to be here, or I should say to be back. Um, In about 1975, I was a Shabbat boy at Temple B'nai Jeshurun in the nursery school. And in about 1985, I became a bar mitzvah at Temple B'nai Jeshurun. So it is so gratifying on so many levels to come back home, to share this great holiday, the upcoming holiday of Pesach, as discussed in my book, The Telling with Everyone uh, Tonight. And I'm really especially looking forward to your questions. And we did a podcast on the rabbi's husband. It was such an enlightening conversation that uh, I so look forward to tonight. So the first question about the Haggadah is what is it? And even before we can ask that question, we have to ask, what is Pesach? So Pesach is first, fundamentally, and most importantly, the authentic and biblically ordained Jewish New Year. The Bible says of Pesach, it occurs at the head of month. It is our New Year. And it's also a second thing. The Bible also tells us that Pesach shall occur in the month of spring. So Pesach doubles as the Jewish spring festival. Now, almost every culture, and perhaps every culture, has a spring festival. In my book, I wrote that the American spring festival is the Easter egg hunt on the White House lawn. I subsequently realized that I was wrong. The authentic American spring festival is opening day. So how do we feel on opening day And how should we feel in the month of spring on Pesach? When the spring comes, we literally go outside again. We feel renewed. We feel rejuvenated. In Israel, 500 million birds cross the country, just sending the message physically that reinforces the spiritual, that 
opportunity, newness, it's in the air and it's for yours to seize. And this teaches us what we can and should do with the new year. As we sit down at our Pesachsaders, as we celebrate a new year, we're given the remarkable opportunity to contemplate who we are now, to take inventory of ourselves and to think, what kind of person do I wanna be in the coming year? And what kind of people do I wanna be a part of in the coming year, communally and nationally? And our great guidebook through the Seder, but also, and most importantly, through the Jewish year is the Haggadah. The Haggadah is not a dinner program. It's not an instruction manual. It's not a law book. It's not a cookbook. It is our great guidebook that asks and answers all of the great questions of life. And it does so through incorporating what's effectively the greatest hits of Jewish thought. So when we sit down to Seder and we open the Haggadah, which is probably familiar to most of us, we are taking out the greatest hits of Jewish thought, which exists to help us in the most practical, in the most actionable, in the most interesting ways to live a happier, better, and more fulfilling life in the year to come. And every passage, particularly the passages that are so familiar to all of us, are just bursting with meaning and just begging us to extract their significance and to apply it in our life starting tomorrow. So when we sit down at the Seder, uh, this is really the effective introduction. We say, whoever is hungry, let him come and eat. Whoever is needy, let him come and celebrate Passover. Now, this sounds like an invitation. And in fact, it is. It's just a very strange time to be issuing an invitation because the event has already begun. The matzah is on the table. The wine's been poured. All the guests are seated. So why are we issuing an invitation to the people who are already seated at the table? We're clearly not issuing an invitation to anybody else because nobody else can hear the inviter when these words are being spoken. So why are we issuing an invitation to only people who are already there? Well, I believe this answer is revealed in the Hebrew word panim, and it really describes the disposition with which we should approach this momentous night of the Seder. So panim means faces, and panim only exists in the plural. There is no way in Hebrew, there's no way in Judaism to describe just one face, because we all have many faces. We have one face when we're in synagogue. We have another face when we're playing with our children or grandchildren. We have another face when we're in a job interview. We have another face when we become a bar bat mitzvah. We have another face still when we're watching the Super Bowl. We all have many different faces. So which face is being invited to the Seder? How should we come to the Seder? And which face is not being invited? So the face that's not being invited is the tough guy face, the invulnerable face, the face that has no questions and knows all the answers. That face is not being invited. The face that's being invited is each of us in our capacity as a broken person. And the, the broken is the one that we learn all throughout the Jewish tradition is the most treasured by God. In fact, the canonical interpreter Rashi says that the last line of the Torah is God thanking Moses for breaking the tablets and both the broken tablets and the whole tablets are placed in our sacred ark. So God loves the broken. So how do we, why do we break up the broken into two categories, hungry and needy? And this again, just reveals the spirit which we should approach this sacred new year. So whoever is hungry, let him come and eat. So I believe the significance of this awesome part of the invitation was so well articulated by the late great president of Israel, Shimon Peres. When Shimon Peres was asked, 
What is the greatest Jewish contribution to humanity? He had a lot to choose from. He was a great champion of Israeli entrepreneurship, of Jewish innovation, and he could have picked something medical or something technological or something military or something intellectual or something humanitarian. Instead, he said, the greatest Jewish contribution to humanity is dissatisfaction. Now, why is it significant here? Because how do we feel at the end of a good meal? If someone says, how do you feel? We very well might respond, I feel satisfied. In other words, I'm no longer hungry. And that is never the disposition that we should be in, particularly on this new year when we think about how should we acknowledge and be in the coming year. We should always be hungry. As Deuteronomy tells us, man does not live by bread alone. We should always be hungry. And this acknowledgement begs us to ask, what am I hungry for? And this is one of the first great questions of the Pesach experience. What am I hungry for? And I think everyone should come up with two answers. One, what am I hungry for about myself spiritually? How do I want to improve myself spiritually in the months to come? And what am I dissatisfied by? What am I hungry for materially? What in the world, what problem in the world do I want to ameliorate? What do I want to contribute? What can I take anymore in its current state? And so what do I want to improve? What am I hungry for personally, psychologically, materially, and communally? Then we say, whoever is needy, let him come and celebrate Passover. Now, I believe that independence just might be the most overrated idea in the American lexicon. Now, uh, imagine, um, Rabbi Karen, if somebody came up to you in synagogue and you said, how are you doing? And they said, I'm doing great. You know, I'm independent. And then the reply was, well, what do you mean you're independent? And the person said, well, you know what independence means. It means that I don't need anybody and nobody needs me because that's what independence means. If someone said that, we would want to not it not celebrate that statement, but help that person. So Judaism does not prize independence, nor do we prize dependence. Instead, we celebrate interdependence. And when we look around the Seder table, when we look around the Shabbat table, when we look around the synagogue, what do we want to see? We want to see lots of people who need each of us, and we want to see lots of people who we need. We want to see these thick bonds of interdependence, which constitute a community. So when we sit down at the Seder and we acknowledge that I'm needy, and I, and I say a Seder uh, with the greatest kavanah, the most meaning, I say I live in an assisted living facility. Now, not a legally ordained assisted living facility, but I look around the Seder table, I look at my family, and I realize I, I, I can't go on by myself for maybe a day, maybe two days, but, but no more than that. I, I live in an assisted living facility, and I think we should all acknowledge that we all live in an assisted living facility, that nobody's independent. And when we look around the Shabbat table or the Seder table or any community, we should think, how can I be more needed by others and how can I need others more? And it's with this disposition in a state of hunger, spiritual and material, hunger uh, spiritually for ourselves, materially for others, in a state of need, both people we need, institutions we need and those that need us, that we can really begin the Seder meal because this is the self that's being invited. Questions. So the four questions, which really gets to the heart of Jewish education. Um, why is this night different from all other nights? Everyone is familiar with these four questions. And then the purpose of these four questions, too, everyone knows, which is to arouse the curiosity of the children. So let's think about which of these questions works best. On all other nights, which question will most interest the children, if any, or perhaps all? 
On all other nights, we eat hametz and matzah. On this night, only matzah. On all other nights, we eat vegetables. On this night, only maror. On all other nights, we do not dip even once, but on this night, twice. On all other nights, we eat sitting or reclining, but on this night, we all recline. Now, which question works the best? Well, I'd like to ask, whoever has been to a Seder where a child has leapt from her chair and said, oh my God, we're dipping twice. Tell me about the Exodus. So I posit that no child ever has had her interest really invigorated by these four questions. No one. Leading one to ask that in the thousands of years of going through these four questions, why hasn't somebody said, you know, these questions aren't working for my kids. They didn't work for me. And I checked with my parents. They didn't work for them either. So let's devise four new questions. And I believe the answer is that generic questions never work. These questions are mediocre and that's the best they're ever going to be. But in their mediocrity lies their genius. Because what they're telling us as we look at our children and we see that none of them work, what it's telling us is we have to encourage our children to ask their own questions. And how do we do it? What, how do we educate our children? We do so by acknowledging, recognizing the sacred uniqueness of each child. So at the Seder, we should think about before the Seder and at the Seder, look at the children who are there and think about what is the unique access point to educate this special child. So quite practically, the, the chapter in my book on this is called Why Whoopee Cushions Are Kosher for Passover. If a child is mischievous, put a whoopee cushion under his chair, uh, on his seat when he asks a good question. If a child loves dessert, put ice cream on his plate before dinner. If a child loves baseball, because that's the American, because it's opening day and it's the American Spring Festival, then give her a pack of baseball cards when she asks a good question. Whatever it is, we should think about the specific children Realize that the best educational experiences are those that are deeply personalized and cater the Seder to the interests of the specific children who are there. One thing that you've done, now we've had, we're in our second COVID Seder, shall we say, where we're not having the Seders that we imagined. How has your Seder changed during COVID? How has it changed through your book? And what's one thing that anyone who's watching can do to really make their Seder especially meaningful uh, this time around? Uh, what a great question. I think first we should acknowledge that our seders this year as they were last year are going to be small and then realize why that is because it's a deeply significant reason why they're usually big. And in everything we're doing in, in the seder is in imitation of the last meal in Egypt in Exodus 12. And there's a special provision about food in Exodus 12. It says there can be no leftovers. In other words, leftovers are not kosher for Passover. And it says that if your family is too small to consume a lamb, you must invite another family to join you. Now, how many families were too small to consume a lamb? We know from modern science and ancient history that it took 15 to 20 people to consume a lamb. In other words, no household was big enough to consume a lamb. So on this first and fundamental night of Jewish freedom, we become a people on this night, how? Through the acts of giving and sharing in the spirit of hospitality. And that's why we have big seders. So we can't do it this year because of course, saving a life always takes precedence. So what can we do? I think this should be the year of preparation. Now, not the minutia of ritual preparation. We should never let that interfere with the great existential preparation that we can do in advance of the new year. So I think we should go through the Haggadah, perhaps with the aid of my book. And let's just think about two to four, maybe five passages in the Haggadah that are really important for either you or the people at your Seder at that year. And, and it might change next year. 
But what two to four passages in the Haggadah really speak to whatever opportunity someone's contemplating or whatever challenges someone's going through this year? And let's really study them and let's really think about them in advance of the Seder and at the Seder, however small it is, let's just discuss it with a robust, vibrant discussion with the aid of the Haggadah, the greatest hits of Jewish thought. And let's use that to both understand our opportunities and our challenges and to come to some resolutions about ourselves personally and about the world materially and what kind of difference we're going to make in both in the year to come. Thank you for listening to this edition of Call Jeshurun. If you would like to learn more, visit our website at tbj.org and follow us on social media for updates on all our upcoming opportunities for engagement. We really hope to see you soon.